Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Hold your insulting tongue and mark my words well. I have plotted my revenge on you. Now I shall have it. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. My name is David Pizarro from Cornell University. Um, Paul, how many people can you think of off the top of your head that consider you a villain? Three. <laughs> Three. <laughs> That's um, two more than I have. <laughs> wait, so there's me and two other people? We're, we're including family members, right? <laughs> yeah, well, this probably be. This, I, yeah. I, I have to say there's nobody in my life, I think, who thinks that I am their nemesis. That I, am, I, I don't have that sort of special relationship with somebody where they hate me exclusively or primarily. Uh, before we get on, Paul Bloom, this is Paul Bloom from Yale University, our illustrious most frequent guest. Yeah, what's uh, this? Number three, right? Our first three-time guest? First three times. It's yeah, number. It's, really it's number three. I'm, I'm honored to be back on. This is my favorite. This is my favorite thing on the internet. <laughs> wow. And yeah, there's a lot on the internet. <laughs> this, um, this is my. There's at least five or six <laughs> other things on the internet, so that's pretty. <laughs> I have one bookmark, and it's very bad wizards. <laughs> we should put that quote on the front page. <laughs> I have one bookmark. <laughs> it's mainly because he doesn't know how to bookmark. I did it for him. <laughs> uh, I'm well, Chandler Summers from the University of Houston, by the way. Yes, and that's very, very kind of you, Paul. We love having you on. So today's episode is on villains, and I'm actually curious, Tamler, do you think anybody considers you a nemesis? I don't think so. You, uh, you have to be at a certain level of fame, I think, or people have to know who you are to consider you their nemesis. There might be some really <laughs> shitty podcaster who actually right. thinks of you as his number one villain. But right now, there might be somebody who hates one of us, and we're unaware of it. Who thinks all the time, wishes us dead, hopes for our failure. Yeah. And I actually, would definitely not know because I, I, I'm oblivious to those kinds of things. I just assume people like me and it's often not the case. I mean, really often. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we all teach courses with a substantial amount of students. How many of those students do you think actually hate you? Some might think that it's, you're a bad teacher, but how many come to class and think, this fucking guy. I hate him so much. I, right. I, it's not just that this class is unpleasant or boring. I, I hate him. I think about him all the time. How That's many right. people have masturbated at the idea oh. of killing us? Oh. No, you know, you're crossing a line. <laughs> oh, good episode. <laughs> oh, before we get started, I did want to say that, we, that we're, we're doing this episode a couple weeks late because uh, a couple weeks ago, my dad passed away. 
Um, he was 91 years old. It, it was it was expected, although you know the sort of decline happened sharply in the last six months. Um, but I just wanted to say a couple words about him because he was also a professional philosopher. He taught at Brandeis University for 30 years. Before that, at Columbia, and he was. You know, a pretty brilliant and innovative philosophical mind, and he was working until the very end. And I looked on Phil Papers and saw that his last paper that was published in a major journal was as recent as my last paper published in a major <laughs> journal. <laughs> he was he hated Frege. That was his enemy. You know the way I. Consider Kant my enemy, but the but the difference is that my he actually knew what Frege had written about. Yeah, number one, he had read Frege probably. <laughs> number two, yeah, he did he he did more than just trash him on a podcast. He uh, he actually created his own alternative logic, um, a new logic that was more compatible with natural language, more in the tradition of Aristotle. Um, and it, he, it, he never got quite the respect that he deserved or that he thought he deserved for that. Um, and part of that, cause you know, he, my dad, and this is one of the things that I did learn from him. If I didn't get the philosophical genius, he, this was, I think so important for me to just grow up around and absorb. He, he did things on his terms, you, you know, he did things his own way. And he always worked on stuff that he was passionate about, and he didn't work on stuff that he just thought would be publishable or were likely to draw attention or something like that. Um, And he just didn't put up with a lot of the crap that comes with academia. And so, you know, I owe so much to him, and I don't want to get all emotional now but i just wanted to throw that out there and you know for all you logicians out there check out my dad's logic i only wish he had taught you logic i i I know (laughs) he tried he tried i was such a lost cause (laughs) one thing i want to also say that sort of you know because it relates to topics that we've discussed before is I, i i gained an even sort of deeper appreciation of the non theistic elements of religion and particularly the Jewish religion because the ceremony he belonged to an orthodox synagogue and that's where the ceremony took place and the rabbi um, who sort of presided over it and presided over the shiva that followed uh, it was just really beautiful and you know we required no sort of belief in any sort of god it it was just about it just gave us a structure for the ceremony a structure for the burial a structure for the for the uh shiva which is a beautiful ritual that everyone should just do whether you're jewish or not of people sitting in you just sit in your house and people come and they talk to you about your dad and it becomes like a celebration or a way to honor uh, how, somebody's how long life is shiva? Well, <laughs> this is interesting. I didn't know this. It's six days, but in my dad's case, he it, it uh, because the holiday of Sukkot came right in the middle uh, on the third day of Shiva. Shiva has to end, and that's mm-hmm. it. And and so my dad, I guess, literally got Jude out of like, three <laughs> days of Shiva. <laughs> 
Paul, I, he says what we're all thinking. Yeah. We, 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 we still did it later, but the official part of it was over. You know, the rabbi came. We took a walk around the block that officially puts the end yeah. to Shiva. We still did it anyway because it's not like we were celebrating Sukkot in any deep way. So, uh, no, so yeah. Sitting Shiva is a great idea. It's a great technology that religions have come across for dealing with grief and mourning. And I think, you know, sometimes on this podcast and sometimes in in our work, we discuss religious belief very critically, but there's often this real wisdom to religious ritual for getting, for, 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 you know, the turning points of life, birth, death, you know, marriage, becoming an adult. And, and I think sitting Shiva is a, a really something to be valued. I envy, I envy it, to be honest. I mean, there's this way, you know, my, my grandfather passed away a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we fly in, have a funeral, but fly right back out. There, yeah. there is a brief moment. There's no sort of peace and, and contemplation about someone's life. Um, and, you know, we, as you say, Paul, like, there's a way we, we could just have made an effort. There's no official. There's rel- this relative has to get back to work. That one has to. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing in the books that would make anybody make an excuse to to sit there and do that. So it's hard to do it if it's not in the books. Yeah. You know, some people yeah. view religion yeah. as a series of, of bi- binding mechanisms to make you do things you wouldn't want to do, but you're happy you did them later. Huh, that's a good way of putting it. And they, got, way. they have other things going on. Religions that. Are less appealing, but <laughs> you know, ritual sacrifices and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is beheading. Yeah. This is this beheading. Is act. Uh, okay, speaking of religion, uh, shall we move to our topic, um, <laughs> villainy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's the, move on to that. The, You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So, what I make you? Good? You're not good. So the idea today was we're going to talk about our favorite villains from TV and movie, right? Here, here's the problem as I see it. On, on the one hand, by definition, villains are people who do things we view as morally disdainful. So there is a question as to the appeal of villains. And I'm right. not sure if I framed it right, but yeah. So one, one theme which will probably come up is that in most movies and TV shows, the villain's the most interesting person there. I mean, so no, why? Yeah, why? I mean, I mean no, nobody watches Silence of the Lambs and thinks about Clarice Starling. <laughs> I think about that guy who tucks in the basement. Yeah, so, so, so right, the, the pagina, buff, buff, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo, yeah, so, Buffalo Bill, and that's actually yeah. a constant theme, which is the, which maybe we'll get to. But the, but a lot of the best TV shows and movies they have a really really bad guy, then they pit him up against somebody worse. That's right, right. or right. less classy. So Hannibal Lecter was this cannibal psychiatrist and Buffalo Bill was just this monster. Right. Yeah. And and they have a you know Hannibal Lecter had a code. It was a <laughs> twisted, fucked up, yeah. perverted code, but it was a code. And Buffalo Bill, you know, his code was I'm gonna I'm gonna capture heavyset women and then dance in front of the mirror with my <laughs> penis between my legs. 
that, it's not really a code. That, that, that scene left a mark on you, I see. Yeah. In Hammurabi's original code, it, it said something about the requirement to do that. Well, this is the bad side of religion. So, so we're just... But there, there are certainly villains, and maybe we'll get to this, that, that are just pure chaos. That, yeah. That are, are, are interesting because right. of their just complete lack yes. of code. Um, the, yeah. That's comment, right. The, the comment about the code, by the way, reminds me of the scene from The Big Lebowski, where the John Goodman character is is explaining in, in fury of some people, and he says, "You know, they're, they're nihilists." And he says, <laughs> "Say say say what you will about the Nazis, but at least they had an ethos." I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there is a kind of villain. I guess the Joker from Batman is That's sort right. of one of them yeah. that is just div- – but but his code is chaos sort of. Right. Yes. He's dedicated you know, like, to just yeah, just confusing <laughs> the shit out of you. Like, he's like, Here's what we were talking about a little earlier, Paul. This is all in movies and literature, you know, epic poetry in, uh, in, in drama – but in real life, that doesn't seem to be the case, that the villains are the most interesting people. Um, so is, is, first of all, is that true? Because maybe we just don't hang out with the right villains. Or is it... Or we, or we are the villains. <laughs> or we are the villains, yeah. I think for, for the most part, that's true. I think there are exceptions. Uh, D.B. Cooper, uh, Bonnie and oh, Clyde. Yeah, those, those right. sort of so, but I mean, the real, the the real Clyde, yeah, Don, yeah. Most most real world villains are pathetic. They're 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 people who have made wrong choices and they're scary, and but they aren't evil geniuses. They aren't charming. They're just pathetic and unpleasant. And, and even but, when they try to be the villain who, at the end of the day, swears up and down that what he's trying to do is something for the greater good, we get people like Ted Kaczynski. Right, yeah. who, who probably did swear up and down that it was for the greater good, but it was a stupid greater good, and he wasn't a good, yeah. you know, it was right. This not this isn't practice villainy. This is this is just it looms large that people actually kill, and yeah, and and I can't. But I still think it. maybe if we had hung out with you know some of the great mafia dons in the '30s and '40s or Al Capone, I mean, maybe that would have been fascinating. It's hard for us to know, right? Because we just have no access to to these people, right? But who would we have access to now? All, all we have is academic villains. <laughs> our, <laughs> our, our, our colleagues known for bad behavior, and they're such a a, a sad lot in comparison. Oh God, it's boring. <laughs> it's not that it's the banality of evil that is what's so depressing about it. Is that they're not even really good at evil. <laughs> it's not that <laughs> evil. Just... <laughs> they're just petty and and yeah. right. Their motives are clear. They this is just boring. It's like just pet- it's selfishness in in a way that something about a villain that has to have a bigger picture goal in mind. And I just yeah. don't see. I'm trying so hard not to name names. <laughs> so many names are leaping into my yeah. head. This is one of the rare cases where I can censor myself. <laughs> yeah. like, so here's another idea, and this is something that I wrote about in a, in a little chapter with, with Roy Baumeister. That in reality, what's going on in a collected volume? In a collected volume, that was, yeah. There's there's actually a collected volume on superheroes, which. (laughs) uh, So, with Roy, I wrote a chapter called Superhero Comics is Moral Pornography. Uh, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before that what's going on is that 
giving us a caricature of evil. So you can think about old films, like old-timey westerns, where the bad guys wear black, um, and it's obvious that they're bad. And what that's doing is it's giving us the ability to practice our, our negative moral evaluations. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's in some ways the t- junk food, moral junk food. It, we, we get to say, like, that's a bad guy and that's a bad thing to do. And this is a good guy and this is a good thing to do. And it gives this simplicity of, of making moral evaluations that is unmatched in everyday life. There's, nobody right. really is like that. Nobody is unequivocally good or unequivocally bad. So whatever pleasure we get out of it is the pleasure of making these judgments that they are bad. What do you guys think gonna... of the fact that, that, that right now in TV and movies, we have a much better class of villains who are much more ambiguous and complicated? Um, right. You know, the, the, the Walter Whites, the Tony Sopranos, we'll be getting to those, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so, so, so the villains are no longer as simple. And it's it's and and you're rooting for them. They're you're not rooting. you're rooting. I mean, you know, with Walter with Tony Soprano, you really do find yourself rooting for him quite a bit, especially when there's somebody worse. Let, yes, like let's his get mother. let's get to let's wait to yes. talk about that because it's okay, we'll talk about it. this is the golden age, definitely of villains and antiheroes. And I mean, I think television is just better in general now but this is the way in which it's better in the most obvious way agrees i'm trying to think when you look at the gods of olympus um they were fairly complex characters or the even the you know the bad ones like hades they were pretty complex villains right and they yeah because there is this temptation to say that as society has become more complex you know we have shades of gray where we didn't used to but i think we just have shades of gray because directors have gotten better yeah right not yeah yeah, they're just better at showing the the complexity of these characters because they're just better artists that are working in these mediums right now. Right, but but I mean, it's not like we haven't had people who knew how to portray interesting. I mean, think of Humbert Humbert, right? Oh yeah. I mean, he he's a villain and a and a and a kind of a monster in any ordinary sense of the term, and yet he's so fascinating and. You know, that's a first person narrative that you find gripping the whole way and even sort of find yourself feeling kind of bad for him at the end. So I have uh, a theory about that, which is yeah. if he's a first it's, it's, it's if I remember right, Lolita's a first person narrative and mm-hmm. you, you follow it and right. and and it's irresistible either in a narrative or in a movie when you're constantly watching somebody to take that person's perspective. To start rooting right. for it. The cool thing about Lolita, about Lolita is around a third of the way through, at least me, I'm rooting for him to get the girl. You know, <laughs> that, that's putting it maybe the wrong way. I recognize yeah. the moral problems here. But you can't help but be sympathetic to the person. But why, You're rooting why for him once Qu- the other guy comes in. The What is it? Quigley. Quigley. Or Quigley. He's, uh, he's yeah, the Quigley, worst yeah. villain. That's right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think you'd rather are... that Humbert had him than, than Quigley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you guys are right in earlier that you need the bad, you need a real bad guy to come in and maybe I don't know if Swear Al Swearengine is on the list, but this this clearly oh, happens yeah. in Deadwood, right? I wanted to talk really quickly to to maybe ha- challenge what you said Paul about why would taking the perspective of somebody who's doing something bad make us more sympathetic? If anything, it ought to be the case that we're especially abhorred when we're like, oh my God, this is what this guy's thinking. It might have to do with empathy. 
which, which, as you know, may have its downsides. So, <laughs> so that's your number one villain, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> on, your, on your list, empathy, right? You know, you know, all I have is a hammer. So, <laughs> so empathy is my nail. Um, yeah. You know, and if you if you put yourself in someone else's head, I think I think the fans of empathy are right about this. You start to feel for them. You start to take right. their side. And and if you're putting yourself in Tony Soprano's head or Walter White's head, that's what happens. I mean, there's other yeah. things going on, but but it, it's a I think a psychological fact that if you spend enough time seeing the world through Hitler's eyes, you'd start being kind of pro Hitler. Yeah, this is also what, by the way, the blurb we're putting on <laughs> top of our web. So, I mean, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting exercise with somebody like Hitler to write a like a Lolita first person perspective from Hitler as he's yep. sort of moving up. And I don't know who could take that on. I don't know if anybody has the talent to do that right. But that would be kind of a fascinating experiment to see if you could actually get that same phenomenon that you do get that same kind of experience where you're really you're very i mean we're torn and in a lot of like i i I, for my list and we should get to our list um i i put people who i'm i find myself rooting for at least a little bit you know you know i'm i'm on i'm on their side to some degree and that's what's interesting because they're morally reprehensible in any ordinary way of of thinking about it and yet i want them to get away with whatever they're doing yep and not not everyone on my list is like that but like, well why don't we just start yeah, just why don't we start list. with our guest i mean since since we brought up walter white let's cuz i think uh, we didn't want to do a couple of really obvious ones, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them, right? So Walter White from Breaking Bad, chemistry, yeah. high school chemistry teacher who turns to cooking crystal meth uh, in order to, uh, you know, raise money for his cancer treatment. As you know, as sympathetic starting out as you can get if somebody's going to do a bad thing, right? Yeah. Emil, Emily Nussbaum, who's, who's my favorite TV critic in The New Yorker, talks about the bad fan. And the bad fan is the fan who roots for Tony Soprano, who roots for Walter White. It's yeah. the bad fan who gets furious both at the at the character of Walter White's wife and the yeah. actress because she's <laughs> such a she's such a downer. She wants him to stop killing people, and you know what a bitch. You know. What? Yeah. No, and then when she kind of turns corrupt, they don't even like her. Then that's right. It's like. She, that treacherous bitch. It's like, oh, now you want yeah. the money. Now you want to kill people. Well, too yeah. late now. And I, yeah. where were you when Walter really needed you, Paul? I'm I'm ready for Paul to like spring on us that the true villain is the disabled son. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. I worked hard on, hard on this list. I've been working okay, like eight good. hours a day for the last week. Okay, so Walter all right, we White. should get to our list then, because uh, yeah. well, these issues will all come up. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, the last thing right. I do want to say, one last thing about Walter White is that I, you know, this is all maybe just too obvious, but the brilliance of it is that before, by the time he does the most morally outrageous thing um, that he does, you can't even believe that you were <laughs> close to rooting for that. You, yes, you are. They they hit you with the outrage that is the inevitable payout for root you know of of following walter white's trajectory and and it's almost a punishment that you and and i've heard the uh director of the soprano speak in very similar ways this is what you get for rooting for this guy 
but yeah, no, that it's a re- that's a remarkable experiment. I thought after the season, you know, season four, the end, that that was it. Like they went too far. We're not going to get back on his side, and to an yeah. extent, we didn't. But you know, then you bring in some neo Nazis, and that's right. The, yeah, that's uh, okay. Uh, Let's, Paul, you we have top uh, five. Hopefully, we'll get through five. Um, yeah, so so we go through some of them quickly. I I have such a soft spot for Agent Smith. Uh, the the <laughs> from the Matrix. Is, Matrix is my favorite. Forget about the sequels. We're not going to talk about the sequels. No, Matrix is exist. my favorite movie, and it occurs to me Agent Smith is the most interesting character of of my movie. I mean, Trinity is interesting, but we hardly see her. Neo is just, you know, a, a, a generic Keanu Reeves character. But Agent Smith steals the movie. And, and Agent and, Smith, for those who, for yeah, some sorry. reason, haven't watched it, is is an artificial intelligence. He's like a construct from within the Matrix that I, I take it to be some sort of a collective representation of the interests of the mach- the machines. And, and to some Paul, extent, you he- are now my nemesis because you brought up the Matrix. <laughs> are you against the Matrix? Yeah, I I I, oh. I I don't really like it, but I well, I know I'm weird. I'm the ex. In in the no, it's no waking life. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> okay, so I put Agent Smith. We we since we're gonna have fifteen of them for the three of us, we've got to pick up. Yeah, yeah. So, so Agent Smith, I'll put down. A- Agent Smith. What who's, is who's it, what is his? Yeah. Why, why is Agent he complex? Smith. Why is he interesting? Um, because he he has a plausible motivation. He's sick of being assigned to this thinking planet and yeah. dealing with these people. Um, he that has, is a brilliant speech. And, and he, he makes these brilliant speeches. Zoo, this prison, this reality whatever you want to call it i can't stand it any longer it's the smell if there is such a thing i feel saturated by it he's really good at the martial arts and <laughs> and and hugo wearing uh, the actor has this amazing voice this yes. is i'm starting slow here but yeah. but like my 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 younger son's greek teacher is a uh, mr anderson and when <laughs> Whenever I see him, when I go to school, I'm always trying to go, Mr. Anderson. And, <laughs> and, and I, I resist the temptation. I uh, saw that movie when it came out, and I haven't seen it since. And I just don't, I don't remember a single thing about it except oh. that there was some cool. Oh, my God. You should, you should watch it again. So many yeah, times. It, it, it's very philosophical, Tamler. It's, it's, about, um, it's about reality and Descartes. <laughs> oh, and, really? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard I, of I don't, Nobody's ever brought it up in a philosophy class before, <laughs> no. so I didn't know that. But <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off of Paul's uh, and, ta- and, and mention another artificial intelligence, uh, HAL 9000. Oh, HAL, yeah. Right. There is uh, – he captures HAL from this uh, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, That's a great one. I was just thinking that when Paul said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, one of those. And there's a there's a theme to a lot of villains being humans who are broken in their emotional reactions, or machine like, or machines. Right. This is, I think, a really common thread. And how represents sort of the most chilling, purely sort of goal seeking. Uh, villain. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, huh? 
This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. Just even in, the, I don't know whose voice that was. That would be, but whoever's voice that was just nailed. They the, deserve like a best supporting actor for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, again, the most interesting character of that movie. Right. In a, in a movie not known not for its interesting characters, characters. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's something about the, the coldness of space, the stark environment in which they're in, and Hal just sort of exerting his will when you're that when they're that far away from anything human it is his lack of humanity that makes him interesting but also just scary so yeah. a lot of these the villains that i have on my list are just they're just scared they scare me yeah. they would i would actually be kind of pooping my pants that's interesting because so i for my list the criteria i used so someone like the hal i i, I think he's fascinating but i'm not rooting for him so I tried to put people that I was rooting for, and they couldn't be pure evil. They couldn't – because there's so many – especially in movies, and I restricted myself for movies because I figured you guys would cover television. Uh-huh. And there's so many good, just pure villainous characters in the movies. Nurse Ratchet from yeah. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or uh, Burt Lancaster in Sweet Smell of Success, which is an amazing, just seedy, awesome noir movie from the 50s. Uh, Robert Mitchum, Harry Powell, and Knight of the Hunter, maybe the most. This is how Tamler tries to sneak in like a top 20 list. (laughs) No, I mean, like, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So, anyway, yeah, so I, I, but I did want to choose because I think what's interesting about this category for me is that we're rooting for immoral people. We like immoral people, you know, and trying to figure out why that is. Um, that said, my number five, and I broke them also down into categories. <laughs> the, my number what five. We'll hear one of one of the things on television. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Well, this is the most reprehensible pick on my list, but it is a category of villain that I love, and it's these badass sort of teenage <laughs> female assassins. And of those, I chose Gogo from Kill Bill, Volume One, oh. who I've always loved. Um, Which one but is another Go-Go? example is uh, Deadly Little Neho from from Sin City. But yeah, Wait, Go-Go, which one is Go-Go? The, Go-Go? She's the one in the sort of dressed like a Catholic schoolgirl. Yeah. Uh, Are you sure you like her because she's a villain? <laughs> well, I mean, no, I'm not saying I like her because she's a villain. <laughs> But there is something just sort of, I mean, and I know I'm not alone here. I may be alone in admitting this, but there's something about the, uh, like a, a, a female just killer. It's awesome, right? I mean, yeah. come we on. We never know a damn thing about her motivation. No, we do. We get a little backstory on her. Yeah. But I'm, I, I swear to God, I was rooting for her against Uma Thurman. I was, I was sad when Uma Thurman beat her. I would have been happy for the movie to end as, with Gogo the winner. But yeah, so that's my number five pick. It, it, it gets more morally complex. <laughs> but that. So, so my number four is also a female character. I was worried we wouldn't have any. And, um, and she's, this is one of my favorite movies, The Last Seduction. This may yeah, be a scare. The character character is Bridget Gregory, played by Linda Forentino. And uh, IMDb describes her as a devious sex bot. But she's she's the sort of character you don't see very much of. She's, uh, you know, a female psychopath, a little bit Asperger's-y. So she's she's sometimes a little awkward with people. She has a wooden style of interaction. 
you know, she likes sex. She likes having fun. She likes word games of all things. Like she does mirror writing mm. and word games. When she's in hiding, she gives her name as Wendy Cray, which is an anagram of New York, a partial anagram of New York, um, mm. because that's where she's from. And she just has a whole lot of fun in the whole movie. So and, what and does she do that's villainous? I, I, what she does is she, um, she, she steals a large sum of money from her, her boyfriend at the beginning, goes on to run, and he needs the money to pay off the loan sharks who are going to kill him. And then she convinces another uh, boyfriend, played by uh, Peter, the guy in Friday Night Lights who set up the movie Friday Night Lights. Peter um, Berg. Yeah, Peter Berg. That's right. Berg, yeah. Kind of seduces him and uses him as an instrument for murder to, to solve her problems. And she's not malicious or sadistic. She just wants her way. Yeah, she, but she's yeah, definitely and she has immoral ends. She has immoral ends. Yeah. But um, but she's also seems like a kind of a fun person to be around as long as you don't cross her. Huh, and yeah. and and I found her as this very enticing character who stuck with me long after the movie. I uh, I took care of that boy. Thank you can also be very effective. Could you leave? Please. Well, I haven't finished charming you yet. You haven't started. Give me a chance. Go find yourself a nice little cowgirl, make nice little cow babies, and leave me alone. I'm, uh, I'm hung like a horse. Think about it. Let's see. Excuse me? Mr. Ed, let's see. Look, I tried to be nice. I can see that's something you're not... No, I'm trying. I can be very nice when I try. So some of the villains, you know, are people you wouldn't want to be within 100 miles of. Right. But some of the villains are attractive and, and like, fun. And she seems that way, despite her proclivities towards violence. I think Gogo seems really fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to hang out with her. There was a time in the 40s and 30s, I think, more, where that was a more common character. That's right. The femme fatale, Barbara Stanwyck from Double Indemnity. They were really powerful female villainous, but also people that you really thought would be fun fun to to be around. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and fascinating. There is so there's a way in which maybe then my next my next guy we've, who I've talked about um, in the podcast before. So I don't think we need to spend too much time. But Harry Lime from the uh, Third Man, right? So he has this charm about him that this is Orson Welles' character. Who he's, he's so clear, villainous. He's so villainous. <laughs> I mean, what he's doing is he's selling ba- bad batches of antibiotics that are k- killing kids just to make money. Huh. Uh, and when you, you know, when you find out that you almost don't want to believe that it is true of him, um, but he's in the shadows for much of the first part of the movie. And then when you meet him, one of the first things you see is this super charming smile. This is Orson Welles is a young man on the streets. On the streets. He's in yeah. the shadow yeah, under a, the light. It, yeah, yeah. It's beautifully shot black and white in Austria. And he steps Such out of the shadows and movie. he gives this little smile that is villainous, but also like, yeah, I want a beer with that guy. Like, I want to hang out with him. And when by the time he gives his, his speech on the Ferris wheel about how humans are just ants and like just admit it to yourself, like what's what's a few fewer ants on this planet? You're like, wow, this guy is a monster. And there is something about the charm that makes you that makes him extra dangerous because you would be caught unaware 
right? Yeah. He's not wearing, he's not all, you know, Darth Vader outfit walking around. <laughs> well, and he has people devoted to him. You know, he, the, 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 his girlfriend the was the, devoted yeah, the, to him t- till the very end. The romantic and, interest that, yeah. that snubs the, the you know. Poor the, Joseph the, Cotton. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, right. He's, he's compelling enough to have people who are loyally dedicated to him, despite knowing the, that he's doing these monstrous things. So there, there is that. I haven't term. seen this one. I got to check it out. Oh, the third, third man. man. Beautiful. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, it's one of the it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, this that actually fits really well with my f- fourth pick. Uh, so the category is just these villains that just have charisma, and I, I actually put uh, Harry Lyme as an example of this. Mm-hmm. The charisma is what draws you to them, but the one I went with was Alonzo Harris from Training Day. Uh, oh, Denzel yeah. Washington. Nice. nice. To be truly effective, a good narcotics agent must know and love narcotics. In fact, a good narcotics agent should have narcotics in his blood. <laughs> what are you gonna smoke that? Nope, you are. <laughs> Hell if I am. Yeah. Yeah. You not? No. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. If I was a dealer, you'd be dead by now, motherfucker. You turn shit down on the street, and the chief brings your wife a crisply folded flag. The fuck is wrong with you? He's he's a bad guy, but man, it's hard to root against Denzel Washington. And as I, I mean, he's just he he talk about somebody that you would want to be around as long as you were sure he wasn't trying to kill you. Like yeah, so sometimes. Just charisma trumps morality, and you find yourself just drawn to a character in spite of the horrible things yeah. that they're doing. You know, there's this recent work uh, by psychologist Jeffrey Goodwin that argues that there's this traditional uh, set of findings in social psychology that we evaluate people on dimensions of warmth and on the dimensions of competence. So uh, you can be, and these are independent of each other. And he, he argues that there is a third basic way in which we evaluate people, and that's the, a moral evaluation. And one of the arguments that he makes is that we think often of warmth as, and morality as going hand in hand, like a trustworthy person who's, who, who would help you in a time of need. Um, but this clearly isn't the case, that some of, some of the warmest, in the sense of sociable people, uh, might very well be the people like that who are, who are villainous and... and I, you know, the examples that you can think of of people that who you want to hang out with and who is a good person that there's sometimes just not a lot of overlap there. Yep. Right. The the good people who are, you know, rule bound and always doing the right thing could be quite boring. They yeah. can be insufferable. Sometimes. What you need is a Bill Clinton. Right? <laughs> if you want to hang out with Bill Clinton. <laughs> I don't not know. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> uh, okay. So Paul, uh, uh, so so my my next one is one that doesn't fit that mold. It's uh, the Joker, the Heath Ledger Joker, uh, the Heath Ledger. and uh, not the Jack Nicholson Joker, which is right. you know creepy enough, but basically Jack Nicholson playing. It's just Nicholson. Jack Nicholson in makeup. <laughs> it's basically just Jack Nicholson in makeup, which is honest to god scary. But but the Heath Ledger Joker is, is a wonderful portrayal of brilliant. An, honest to God, really scary character. And what's partially scary about it is I do think that there are some people like that, that there's a very small proportion, thankfully, of humankind who, you know, as the line goes, just want the world to burn. 
Right. They just want chaos and trouble and pain. And, and there's no redeeming features of being with them, except they might be brilliant about it, but they're just purely scary. You're crazy. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He makes the scariest people in the room cower. Yes. Right? Yeah. He'll stop at nothing, and he's very good at it. You know, sometimes our villains are people who put their self-interest above all else. The Joker is a character, the best the best Jokers in the comic books, and I think in, in this Nolan movie, is that he doesn't even seem to have self-interest. No. That's right. 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 Yeah. It's in some ways, it's not altruistic, but he sees this as an end in itself. It's right. uh, the cause the, the of Joker destruction. The Joker is in some way a philosophical example or counterexample where some people have argued you can't desire evil. You know, right. you could you could right. want to have certain things, be willing to do evil on the way. You could think that what's good is really bad, but but you can't want evil for its own sake. Right. And 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 it seems that if the, the extent of people like the Joker exists, it suggests that that's wrong. You know, another thing that I think probably is going to be true of virtually everyone on our list is that the the villains that that we have are good at what they do. And yes. there's something just inherently like attractive at somebody who's just really good at I mean the plans that the Joker hatches are they're they're works of genius. They get shit done in a in a way I think we're sort of drawn to because we are not or at least I'm not like that. Right. Yeah, Paul's the, the, like that. The, the the competence is really appealing. Yeah, this is part of you know Hannibal Lecter, which yeah. is he's not some crazy guy you know slipping all around and making an ass <laughs> of himself. He's incredibly poised and competent and good at what he does. And what he does is kill and eat people, but still he's good at it. <laughs> yeah. And I submit that you can't be a villain without that level. And of I guarantee that there, yeah. that there's no part of that that I could do. Like I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't successfully murder somebody. I couldn't I couldn't successfully eat a dead person once. Like I even if I just stumbled on a dead person, you I might probably be able to be slowly a... drive them to kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah, no, Jen says that. <laughs> That's the long game. <laughs> we all we all have a niche. <laughs> you know, on that, so I'll, I'll make my number three then, another very competent villain who I put this this as a villain and I'll put it in the slot that I might have reserved for Walter White. And that's Vic Mackey from The Shield. Oh, oh that's a great pick. Yeah. Great pick. He's yeah. so oh. awesome. And he's he is in some ways more enjoyable than Walter White because the descent He's in some ways the opposite of Walter Wright because he starts off pretty damn bad. Your turn to play bad cop? No. Good cop and bad cop left for the day. I'm a different kind of cop. And then works his way into you as a sort of like a, I really, really like this guy. And then gets his comeuppance in the most banal of ways that he gets punished for everything that he's done by the time you're rooting for him. Well, I guess by the end. By the end, you're sort of rooting for him to yeah. to, to yeah. fail, but it's a. It, I actually think it's a great way for you know that's the deepest form of hell and punishment for <laughs> exactly. him, is this is a is... banal end like that. But so, the ride that he takes you on that moral ride yeah. where you just are not sure it's it's in some ways uh, I I think more subtle. And more interesting even than Walter White. Well, and also, like, you're conflicted at first. At first, he might be just that that cop that 
knows how to get shit done right. without having to go through all the proper channels. Yeah. But, f- uh, you know, for the side of justice in the end, and then you realize that it's that it's not exactly like that. Yeah. Right. I yeah. think it's the first episode where he's pitted against these worst guys. And, you know, he bends the rules, he breaks the rules, but he's a common theme. And then there's an informer who's like this good guy and he kills him. Yeah. Right. And, and then you realize, wow, it's not it's not as what I thought it was. Right. Yeah, if, if if our listeners haven't seen The Shield, um, just watch the first season and it's you'll a, yeah, get you'll get into it. It's great, and I feel like it's underrated. I, I I think it's not talked about. I mean, it's probably it's not as good as Breaking Bad or The Wire or it's or, hard, or, it's or Sopranos, just, but it's because yeah. it has some weak seasons in the middle. But it's it's really good. Yeah. Uh, my number three. This is the category of they're bad people, but they're funny. And sometimes, just like charisma can trump morality, just I, being I know what fun. it's going to be. What do you think it's going to be? Uh, the guy from Goodfellas. Nah, oh, shit, you know uh, what? Bashy, I'm, I'm going to go to that uh, <laughs> now. No, that was no, my no, number well, two, not my number three. But I'll just, I'll just, I'll do that one right now. This is actually not that category. That's the sort of just don't give a fuck category. Right. Like he doesn't really have a code. Uh, he's my example of that but there's also something that i don't know i think maybe we're envious of where he just completely doesn't give a fuck right uh tommy from goodfellas he he he's definitely the most well i I guess the de niro character turns out to be more scary but there's he's also very very funny and he just he just doesn't care he'll do anything and say anything and i always use him as a a great example of the you know what pinker calls the doomsday hypothesis of of emotion right. right which is is you know that there is there is a deep irrationality in a local sense to everything that joe pesci does he's risking you know life in prison because some guy insulted him mildly but he will you don't want to mess with him because his cost benefit calculation is totally just right Col- that's exactly horrible right, right. it's like it's facade. a cliche now but that that what you think i'm funny scene that perfectly oh, man, captures no. that it's just a minefield hang like you just don't know yeah. what will set this guy off it's actually one of the most uncomfortable scenes in film for me <laughs> <laughs> really funny <laughs> really funny uh, what do you mean i'm funny <laughs> It's funny, you know, you're, it's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, it's funny, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, you no, know, you got it all wrong. He's... Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? Just... What? Just... You know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? man, let me understand this, because, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. I almost had him. I almost had him. You stuttering prick. Yeah. 
<laughs> Even though he's joking then, he might not be joking the next time. He might. It's yeah. so great. And you know what's another great scene? Maybe well, is him at his mom's house when they've got the guy in the in the in the trunk. They're just having dinner, and he's talking to his mom, and he's she's saying, "When are you going to settle down with a nice girl?" He's like, "I settle down with a nice girl every night, Ma." It, it's awesome. Right, quick, uh, let's take a quick break and come back with our top two. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We are counting down our top five villains or anti-heroes that we find ourselves compelled by or rooting for for some reason. Paul, what's your number two? So my number two is an unusual category. We've discussed villains who know they're villains, like the Joker. We've discussed villains who think they're good people, but we know they're villains. Tony Soprano and so on. There's different categories. Some villains, not everybody is aware they're a villain. The villain I have in mind is a very unusual subcategory. It's somebody who I'm convinced is a villain, even though he doesn't think he's a villain. The people who make the show he's in doesn't think he's a villain. And most people, the viewers don't think he's a villain. So you just think you're smarter than everybody. (laughs) More, No, not not smarter. A a better person. Um, This is Barney Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. And this now, is the, the character played by Neil Patrick Harris. It is a character played by Neil Patrick Harris. Now, now, now you may not have seen the show, but the idea is it's, it's a, a kind of a knockoff of Friends. And it's a very appealing show. And it's about these young people having adventures. But the Barney Stinson character is legendarily promiscuous. And he's incredibly charming. And he's very funny. And he's, he's in some way the, the, the core of the show, the main character of the show beloved by all and so on but i read some blogs about it that have gradually convinced me that he's kind of a serial rapist so <laughs> well, not, i don't know why i'm laughing at that by the so way. <laughs> he's, he's not literally a rapist in that he doesn't literally rape people but what he does is he lies to women to have sex with them and not subtle lies either he pretends to be a time traveler for stupid women he pretends to uh, be be an athlete be a billionaire be from another country he pretends to be heterosexual. <laughs> That's your your blend. You're trying to blend reality, and, and I think yeah. part of I think being played by by an openly gay actor actually gives him some immunity. Right. I think that's right. I was gonna um, say, I was gonna suggest yes. that. Yeah. But this this is behavior that, if not rape, is rapey. Right. It is. Um, is he is he judged now? I don't watch the show, but is he um, at all criticized by the other characters, or is it just like a yes. boys will be boys? Yes, he's criticized by the other characters, but for being, you know, such a uh, so promiscuous and why won't he settle down and there he is again and so on. But he's beloved by the other characters and there's never a moral issue raised about it. Now, the people who make the show are not morons. 
They have him getting girls drunk, but not unconscious drunk. Right, right. He lies, but he doesn't like impersonate their husbands and so on. And it's, it's pretty clear in American law, he never violates criminal law. Right. Though, though he'd be vulnerable for many civil suits. Funny, not to mention the new academic policies. Yes, yes. He is, he is not a, a, a yes means yes kind of guy. I believe at Yale you're not allowed to have sex anymore, right? <laughs> David, what do you like... have against consent? <laughs> Dave has now come out solidly as pro-rape. It okay. finally happened. We're going to have well, to edit this. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Then you would enjoy how I met your mother, <laughs> and and after having having heard us, not, I, I can't watch the show in the same way again. Yeah, actually, and having like, you just having you describe this character makes me uh, want to not watch the show. And probably the first time I see the, these scenes, it will be a little obvious that 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 he's evil. Um, and and but, I will confess that that well, it's not evil, wrote, right? Oh, oh, really? <laughs> so that's I one mean, response. I, I, one res- one response is. That what he's doing isn't wrong. People lie in order to get sex. This is okay. Well, no, no, but I, there's a difference between not being wrong and not being evil. Well, he's, right? systema- he's systematically manipulative and Machiavellian. And now I take it what you mean by not evil as like he's not murdering anybody and he's not robbing banks. But I, I don't know in the way at least that Paul described that this is not you know, systematically lying and, and getting girls drunk to sleep with them seems – I don't know. I, I would. He doesn't. He doesn't see himself as evil. Right. This. But to the extent that evil and the is show a thing, doesn't, right? and and the fans don't, right? The fans Except, do not. Well, that's those are the in, that's an interesting character then, because it, or in some ways it's the scariest kind of character, right? Because it shows that you know we're like if 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 you're right, we're like not the Nazis, but the people in Germany at the time who just sort of went along with it. It's like a show in the forties, like. Himmler's house, which is all adventures and so on, and and there's a big laugh track and so on. But people people it's look at it later on and say, say a wacky neighbor. But there's a laugh track. Uh, <laughs> a sassy that, housekeeper. Is that Goebbels? Frala. Oh no! Hide the cutlery. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, we got to make that. Uh, this is our this is our way to real fortune right here. Here's okay. Himmler. Uh, help us out with the title. Uh, that's a good pick. <laughs> if we didn't post okay. them already with them. <laughs> my number two is all right. I'm just gonna put it out there. Kaiser Sosa. I oh. I just like the guy. I this is in part. The competence thing that just trumps everything else. I mean, this is a cool bad guy. I mean, this is a bad guy who has orchestrated, uh, by the way, yeah. this is from The Usual Suspects, Brian Singer's, I think, first feature film. And definitely his best movie, right? I mean, not even close. <laughs> you didn't like the, the Superman? This is just, I don't think there's much to say other than that the extent to which he has control over every single part of of the story from the get-go is and and the unexpected sort of nature of the reveal because he is such a powerless character um that to find out that he that he's the one apparently even in in hungarian kaiser says it means says it means verbal (laughs) 
So there's a spoiler really? for you. Yeah, this is what I've heard. Yeah, that, that for, oh, for the poor cool. for the poor Hungarian. Well, that um, the the also the story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the legend that he creates a, one of the coolest. That yeah. yeah. He comes home to find his wife raped and children screaming. The Hungarians knew Soze was tough, not to be trifled with. So they let him know they meant business. They tell him they want his territory, all his business. Soze looks over the faces of his family. Then he showed these men of will what will really was. see his family dead than live another day after this he lets the last hungarian go he waits until his wife and kids are in the ground and then he goes after the rest of the mob he kills their kids he kills their wives he kills their parents and their parents friends the idea that like he shoots his family right and you think that might have been the right thing to do at that point To show these men of will what will was, you know. And then he kills their family and their fathers and their father's friends and their father's friends' neighbors and their neighbors' cousins. And this just... Oh, it's great. No, that's a good pick. I wasn't rooting for him. He was definitely somebody that was on my list of... Of villains, but not ones, and maybe I—I I don't well, know. With him, you're. But you yeah. don't—you can't root for him, right? This is one of the things. The, the wonderful things about the movie right. is that you 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 only have an emotional reaction to the nature of his villainy in that last couple of minutes, and that yeah. reaction, at least for me, was one of pleasure. It was yeah. that yeah, I almost for you know, I almost forgot yeah. all of the bad things that came about because of him. And, and by the way, one of the the best sort of sub characters is his lawyer uh, Kobayashi, um, yep. who's yeah. just this the, you know the agent, so good. the the right hand man of evil, right? Pete Postlethwaite something. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. good. And Benicio del Toro, that was the first oh, time I thought, a, oh, I love that actor. Oh. So, <laughs> He's so good. You almost what wonder whether thought. he was actually reading his lines <laughs> and not just sort of <laughs> recovering from a stroke. <laughs> yeah, I was worried for a while you were supposed to understand what he was saying. That was, <laughs> that was awesome. All right, my number two, which was originally my number three, and then goes in to that funny... But also maybe sort of vulnerable in some way, too. So I, I, I have a tie here. And the first one is uh, Willie from Bad Santa, which is, which is a movie that is so funny. I, 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 I totally forgot character? how funny it was. Well, I saw it like with – we started watching it with my daughter. And I'll watch pretty much anything with my daughter. But, you know, when, when you get to the anal it. sex scene. Oh, my yeah, God. Uh, that's when we, I like, even I was like, Oh, okay. That's no, we're turning this off. That movie is, 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 is absolutely hilarious. And there's so many great scenes. What he is, is just this drunken deadbeat that goes around to, and plays Santa Claus, 
um, in malls so that he can then rob the malls with this little black midget that is his partner. In, there's so, so much wrong like with elf. the way that you describe that character. I think that there's like three I, I, levels of mislabeling. What do you so, mean? It's like African-American little person. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I, yeah, I guess he's probably African-American. You don't know. He might be from Canada. But but and, and he's and he's pretty reprehensible. I mean, this is the thing about this is why I feel comfortable putting him on this list is that he's pretty reprehensible. He sort of finds a little redemption towards the end, but um, with this little kid. But there's just one scene where he gets so drunk, he gets too drunk, and he and he goes in to do his Santa Claus act and it's the middle of the day and he's just wasted and i don't remember why but he he's he just stumbling over everything and he 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 falls into like that they have this sort of santa and the sleigh he falls into the uh to santa and then just sort of trips over one of the deer there's all these reindeer and then just starts punching the deer and kicking the deer and then just camera just cuts to the to these kids just watching santa claus just beating the shit out of a reindeer in a mall with their parents it's just very funny so was this the this was the character that you said sometimes funny trumps evil what do you want what are you doing not real. No shit. Well, it was real, but you see, I got sick and all the hair fell out, so I had to wear this fucking thing. How'd you get sick? I loved a woman who wasn't clean. Mrs. Santa? No, it was her sister. You are really Santa, right? No, I'm an accountant. I wear this fucking thing as a fashion statement, all right? Yeah, and vulnerable. Yeah, yeah funny, but also vulnerable in a way. Okay, what will Paul's number one be? <laughs> Uh, it wasn't the tire. That, it wasn't the the tire from rubber. The tire. So yeah, that's, that that bears mentioning. <laughs> that definitely my, my, is an honorable my, mention. Yeah. My, my son Zach, uh, when I told him about this, insisted I include the tire from a movie Rubber, which is a stoner <laughs> film about a tire that comes to life and rolls around and kills people. <laughs> and and. <laughs> it is. It I watched is. the preview to, but, after you sent it, and I was like, "Why don't the trailer you just melt is, it? is so funny?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing which once you see the trailer, you don't really have to see the movie, <laughs> right? Right. I never saw the movie. I've never laughed so hard at a trailer in my whole life. As, and as I never. Paul pointed out, it is a stoner film, so I assume. It, yeah. I assume. Yeah, I might have. I might have had some <laughs> some assistance in appreciating it. So, but yeah, number, I never was even tempted to see the movie. So my my number one choice isn't funny at all. It's um. It's Todd Alquist. Todd Alquist, you may remember him from the final season of Breaking Bad. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And, Todd. And I didn't Friday even know Night he Lights. had a last name. He was this guy who, who stuck with me. Again, there's the, there's the evil of Walter White, and then there's a much greater evil. <laughs> Todd Alquist was, he's introduced in, um, we, we, he's introduced as a main character. In a rather boring episode where they get together to rob a train or to get something from a train. And at the very end, this kid, this young, this young, this teenager stumbles into them. And you figure, oh, well, maybe they got to run away or something. And then in the, Alquist just picks up his gun and shoots him dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's how the episode ends. And then you realize this guy is, and he becomes, becomes a bigger and bigger character. He's eager to please, he's, he's shy. He's kind of he's kind of courting this girl, this 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 older woman, and being very gracious and everything, and he's a monster. 
He's so yeah. scary because of what you say. He meets all of the criteria for a good boy that your daughter would date, yep. and you have no idea what he's what he's capable of. He's, he's also I don't know if you guys just, watched Friday Night Lights. He's played uh, by Jesse Clemens. I looked yeah. it up. This actor who plays Landy Clark, and Landy Clark is this you know funny goofy guy who's there partially for comic relief, but is portrayed as incredibly sweet guy. Yeah. And, and and I think it, it's such a tribute to the actor that he could play Landy, and and this this really freak, fucked up psychopath. Yeah, I almost don't and believe f- that someone like that can exist. He's more evil than the like the Nazis are more cartoony evil yeah. than neo Nazi. He's he maybe the person you're most genuinely terrified of in that whole show. And he and tortures and enslaves Jesse Pinkman, who's the, the character right. we start to like towards the end, that we're, we're very, we feel his fondness towards. And if I don't know if we're doing spoilers, but we might as well. We've done so many well, so we've far. we've done so the, many. The, the scene in the final episode where Jesse strangles Todd and kills him yeah. is this most satisfying thing I've ever seen on TV. It is yeah. deeply satisfying. It's it's uh it's the money shot of this whatever yeah. many the seasons. Whole, the whole thing, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It's that's, it's that's almost as if you've right. built up your emotions so much for that. I mean, he's not yeah. there from day one, but yeah. The whole episode, it's interesting. Some people found this disappointing. I don't know yeah. what I think about it, but it really gave you what you wanted almost yeah. too much that last episode you yeah. know like uh everything resolved itself almost i, I loved nicely. it i wanted that after the sopranos yeah. the ambiguity with the sopranos i was ready for my my resolution to come in a little neat box uh, yeah. you know with every you know dotted the i's and crossed the t's did none of us put tony soprano then on the list He's a a good choice. Yeah. I mean, he's an honorable mention for me, but I wasn't doing TV. He would have been on the list. Right. And he he actually might have been on my list, although I submit, and we don't have time to just talk about this, but I submit he's not a villain at all. I actually think that he is as protagonisty as a a protagonist gets. It just so happens that the circumstances are that his his misbehaviors are more excessive than most people's, but he is – he is as human and as personal and as we don't sometimes we're shown the monster, but I, I always interpret interpret this and I've seen the whole run twice as more of a, a I don't know, not to get crazy Freudian interpretations or anything, but it's just the, the impulse control that that uh, if we re- if if we were to have our own deepest desires uh, sort of acted out. He, he was id. He was he was very id like, yeah. and and almost his evil was symbolic. This is like it was like you and I. He's depressed, right? He's he has to deal with weight issues and medical issues, and he's he doesn't seem very villainy to me. He's also he's also quite moralizing. There's a scene in the first <laughs> right. episode where he's meeting a shrink for the first time. He's talking about how morals have declined in his business. <laughs> And and, yeah. and and how terrible it is and basically it's clear what he's talking about people squealing to the cops yeah. and not being loyal right but he's really offended yeah. at these people you know how, how bad people can be uh, yeah yeah I mean and I guess Al Swearingen also isn't going to get mentioned no. and I I mean I'm I'm watching Deadwood again for the second time and it, he's so he might be my favorite of the TV antiheroes. If he is even an antihero, I mean the—I mean he is. He does some terrible things. He might—he—he—he he, uh, he clearly orchestrates the death of innocent people on multiple occasions. 
so there's no sense in which he's not immoral in that sense. It, it definitely, God damn it, my fucking dog. It's okay. Uh, it I definitely benefits. Oh, you can't? Okay. Uh, uh, it, he definitely benefits from more evil people coming in. But at the same time, I think he's the character much more than Walter White, where you're just, once you're on his side, you're on his side, yeah. right or wrong, till the end. Yeah, I mean, he is also competent and and just really charming the the use yeah. of language yeah. you know he's the opposite of tony soprano who always you know gets words wrong swearingen is this beautiful yeah. language just coming out of his mouth but but i i do think that it's almost a little cheaterish to have uh to like somebody because there a greater evil emerges I, yeah, but okay. So I'll get to my number one, which will be very easy to talk about. Which don't 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 hate me for it, um, because it is not a very deep number one. But it's one that's bugged me ever since I can remember, and it's Tom from Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't fucking stand that he, that it is that he gets shit on over and over again. <laughs> All he's trying to do is eat a goddamn mouse which is what cats do and he is the villain but then he's not a villain he's is a little kid he is supposed to be the villain right i mean this is the clearest case in which like upon the minute you know i reached whatever stage four of kohlberg's development (laughs) you know i i i thought to myself you know this is so unfair this is it it's almost like it maybe doesn't take too much to realize that he's not the villain but uh but he is presented like that to, to yeah. kids, and yeah. and if you don't realize that Tom was never the villain, then there's something wrong with you. And Jerry is just so smug and self satisfied with his. He just deserves to die. I wonder if, yeah, I, like, would it be as satisfying for Tom to finally eat Jerry as it was when <laughs> Jesse strangled <laughs> Todd? That cartoon needs to be made. <laughs> I mean, and Sylvester, you know who else? Like, I think Sylvester getting Tweety Bird yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Be, yeah. That, like, it's that's long overdue, too. Yeah, Just maybe. like feasting on it. I have a personal connection to Tom for some reason. Much more than <laughs> Wiley Coyote, even, because, why, you know, there is a, a rich sense of, of Tom's mind that comes across after lots and lots of Tom and Jerry watching that you never get from Wiley Coyote. Um, yeah. is, Tom is just constantly thwarted and, and in a mean way. I mean, he's that's right. he's just mistreated. <laughs> that's that's right. All these all these little victims, the Tweety Bird types, you know, they're just self satisfied. They're real villains. They are the real villains. <laughs> I mean, right. Tom is like constantly getting kicked outside with no milk. You know, like there's no you know this broom in the butt because because yeah. Jerry set him up. Um, Jerry is like Tony Soprano's mother. It's like she's she <laughs> yeah. perceives himself. Oh, poor you! As as the yeah. <laughs> oh, Nobody bad. cares about me. Everybody's trying. Everybody's out to get me. But I, I, I'm sold. And and last the actually last point it reminded me of because we have Paul Bloom uh, on is that uh, Jerry Jerry gets an extraordinary advantage from being cute, right? right. And this is the the one thing that probably makes you think that he's not the villain right um from early on it's just the just too damn cute you don't realize his true evil like todd he is like todd he's like todd Todd. that's right (laughs) it's all coming together all right so we have two shows to produce now the himmler um, sitcom and and the tom finally gets jerry Uh, all right my number one in the category is 
rags to riches, sort of these villains that come up from nothing and they build themselves up. And I have it's a tie again, I, like like you predicted. I'm going to try to fit in as many <laughs> movies as I can. Uh, it's a tie between Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood and Tony Montana from Scarface. I almost had Tony uh, Montana. In. Yeah. yeah, Tony. Actually, Tony Montana benefits from other people being more evil than he is, at least for a decent part of the movie. And, and Daniel Plainview really doesn't. There's no one more evil than Daniel Plainview and There Will Be Blood. Right. But there, there's just something in that. It's that first scene where he just kind of – where he's sort of struggling to get himself up in that uh, oil well and um, where, where he's digging. And, and you just like this 15-minute scene where you just see him just lifting himself up and just the strength and the will that it takes to do that and then building himself – into an empire, even though you know he's, he does horrible, horrible things along the way. It's it's there is something alluring about a, a self-made villain, yeah. Not like a villain that just had everything handed to him, right? You know, <laughs> those privileged little Cornell and Yale villains, but like <laughs> Ivy League villains. Yeah, we hate those. <laughs> That's like the Joker is like that. You don't get the sense he ever had to work for his money. I think those kinds of characters, just by virtue of the fact that they're building... I mean, Tony Montana is interesting. Uh, uh, re- uh, there's, a, there's a documentary that's in one of the DVDs where uh, they interview a bunch of rappers who just see Tony Montana as their hero yeah. and Scarface like like one of them says like that shit was like the bible to us right. taking yourself up from nothing however you have to do it cuz the odds are stacked against you in every way and that that attitude is is inspiring it's, it's like inspiring there, <laughs> you know there is this sense in which but Scarface actually is the name of one of my favorite rappers. Um, there is a sense in which there is a villainy that emerges from wanting too much of the. They wanted too much, right? So Tony Tony sees the blimp that says the world is yours. It's like he they cannot stop with enough, um, but they keep going and they keep going until same, they just, same same with Walter White. With Walter, that's right, that's right. He couldn't yeah. stop. Right? No he, stop. He rules. couldn't stop. He, yeah. yeah, You should yeah. always have a stop rule if you're a villain, and then you won't end up and, a tragic. And there's villain. a very impoverished sort. Of uh, analog in academia is the the academic that is just never satisfied. There's no chair that you can give them. There's no job that you that you can give them. There's no salary that will satisfy them. That will make them think that they you know they'll still constantly be trying to prove themselves and pissed off. Satisfaction is, is the enemy of publication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that that must be it. That must be why for me. That's right. That we're, too, we're too content. I'm too satisfied. This is like a publication, right? It is that no one reads. <laughs> that way more people read than would than, 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 would ever than read, read our publication. Around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, I think that that the glazed over look on Paul's face says it all. Uh, you, we da- have now done, become. Are you done with us, Paul? As, no, no, I'm just getting started. As, as, as it says in the Batman movie, we have, Tamler and I have lived long enough to become the villains for Paul. You are my nemesis. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. One yeah. last thing. I can't believe you didn't have the mayor from Buffy. I <laughs> thought you loved that mayor. Uh, mayor from season three of Buffy. Somebody else. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't think so. You said, you told me, unless I'm going out of my mind, that you thought he was so... You've seen it, right? The the TV series, Buffy? Yeah. I have seen that, some of it. The mayor, in the season three, the, who tries to take, you know, become this monster and take over the entire city, Faith ends up uh, working for him. This is entirely um, unrecognizable to me. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> I have a vivid memory of Paul telling me that he this, thought he was, like, the greatest villain ever. I'm very glad look, that Paul does not know what you're talking about. Look, there's actually no reason to believe that that I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, I, <laughs> I may well have thought it's entirely forgotten it. Amb- Ambien is a hell of a drug. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> true. They might have, right, it might have been during the Ambien years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like large swaths of... <laughs> That's right. There was, a, there was a visiting lectureship in Bruges. <laughs> Entirely, entirely a blur because of, of some jet lag when I landed. But uh, you have like like a second and third family. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And moreover, you're not morally responsible for it. No, no. Uh, uh, all right. Is your Coursera class going? It is. It is going fine. It's a lot of fun. Great. If you're uh, a listener, you can take it late. So, so I know it's, it's still not too late to, to sign on. Just uh, just go to Coursera and, and log in. Yeah, so usually the action Join. is that the Coursera people come to us. But for any of our listeners, you should you should definitely take Paul's Coursera course. And so, um, you can tweet us at, at Pease, at Tamler, at Very Bad Wizards. Go to Matt Welsh's Tumblr page. Uh, Paul, you're Very Paul, Bad Wizards. Paul is at Paul Bloom at Yale. So yep. Very, very yep. So you can great. send him emails complaining about or, or praising him for his praising. list. So, yeah. And despite and it, despite his writing, is one of the most empath- empathic people I know. <laughs> yeah, very... oh, we, uh, we you, to... you, you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> what have I done to make you say that? We're going to find me? out that empathy did something to you as a child. <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh, I get I get emails like that. I get emails from people who say, you know, I know why you uh, you write what you do because nobody has ever loved you. I believe it, <laughs> and, and and that's true. But it's still not why I write what I do. I and I submit that uh, it will not cure Paul of his academic views to give him a hug because I have. Hugged him. I'm like the Grinch. Another <laughs> villain we, uh, another villain we haven't discussed yet. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Good talking to you. Owen. Just a very bad wizard.